Welcome to The Orchard Outlook, a podcast by Perania to help commercial tree fruit growers produce delicious apples using best practices. I'm your host, Michelle Cortens, and I hope to bring you sweet success. In today's episode, we're talking about apple maggot with Dr. Suzanne Blatt. Dr. Blatt is a research entomologist with Agriculture and Agri-Food Canada, located here in Nova Scotia. Her research focuses on integrated pest management methods for a wide range of commodities, including apple. And apple maggot management is, of course, a major concern. Suzanne joins us to talk about apple maggot flies that lay their eggs in apple fruit. The maggots tunnel through apple flesh and can make a real mess that nobody wants to bite into. Hi, Dr. Blatt. Thanks for joining us. Hi, Michelle. Thanks for having me. In order to use integrated pest management in an orchard, we need to understand a pest life cycle. So could you explain the apple maggot life cycle? Apple maggots, they overwinter or spend their winter months as a pupae in the top layer of the, of the orchard. They stay there until well into the summer months. Uh, they often emerge in early July in Nova Scotia. That can be a little bit later in New Brunswick or as you move farther north. Once they emerge as the adult, they mate, they lay their eggs, and they, they do all of that in and on the developing apple. Your female can lay between 300 and 500 eggs, which is one of the reasons that uh, apple maggot can go from a very few flies to a really big uh, maggoty problem. The eggs, once they hatch, and that can take anywhere between four to eight days, depending on how warm it is at the time, and they will spend the next three to six weeks uh, tunneling throughout that apple and developing until they're ready to pupate. Once they uh, are ready, they drop from that apple onto the ground, and then they hang around in the ground there until the following spring. Okay. So I just want to reiterate that one fly can lay 300 to 500 eggs, like that's incredible, and, and that must be why we have such a low tolerance for even one fly. It is, and the other reason is that other countries that do not have apple maggot, they don't want it. So even one maggot making its way through to a new country can be, become a big problem. Absolutely. So this year we saw a delay in the apple maggot emergence. So could you explain what degree days are and how they might explain that delay? Degree days is a, is a way to describe the accumulation of heat over time. So it's a way to standardize how an insect might develop. So you can compare between regions or between countries. Any insect will require a particular number of heat units to develop from one life stage to the next. They, these degree days are calculated by counting the number of degrees above a certain threshold. For example, um, apple maggot pupae, they require a chilling period, so temperatures that are below 5 degrees Celsius, for so many weeks before they are ready to then turn around, begin their um, further development, and then emerge from the soil in spring. So if you look at the current model, or one of the models for apple maggots degree days-wise, the starting date for the degree day model for apple maggot is March 1. So any day that has a temperature above 6.7 degrees will allow their development to proceed. The average temperature is used to calculate these on a daily basis. So if you had a day with a high temperature temperature high of 10 degrees Celsius and a low of 5 degrees, the average temperature for that whole day is about 7.5. If you subtract the threshold temperature of 6.7 and you have what the heat unit is for that day, and that's going to be about 0.8, you have to repeat that calculation every day and then add up those little tiny bits of heat that you've accumulated until you reach a total target number. 
And what that target number is will depend upon what species of insect you're using, and there's all kinds of other variables that can factor into affecting that degree day. We did see that delay in emergence with our apple maggot this year. So typically we see them out from July 2 to 5, and this year we did not see them until July 12 or thereabouts. And this was partly because our spring was very cool and we did not get above that 6.7 consistently. But the other factor, and this affects a lot of ground-dwelling insects that spend either their pupae or as adults um, in the ground, is that the soil moisture can also add a cooling effect. If the soil is moist or wet, as it was this past spring when we had all that rain, you end up with the, it taking longer for the soil to get up to that 6.7. So although we use air temperature, really it's the soil temperature around that particular insect that is our main driver. I'm not surprised that they showed up later this year then because it was so cool and wet for most of the spring, as you said. Exactly. We want to manage these flies before they actually lay their eggs. So how can growers actually monitor for these uh, adult flies? The traps used to capture um, apple maggot are yellow. They're approximately 5 by 9 inches or 12 by 22 centimeters in size, and they're coated with a sticky substance called tanglefoot, (laughs) and they can often be baited with a lure. I love that name. It's so elegant. Oh, the tanglefoot? Tanglefoot. Yes. <laughs> you know, it's so, it's, so, it's so descriptive. Yeah. <laughs> yes, that's exactly what happens, too. The lure that they use on these, uh, on these traps, it's a mixture of compounds that mimic the smell of ripe apples. The adult flies themselves look like a small housefly, but they have patterned wings, and it's got a characteristic um, F, and a black F shape on them. And if you look at, a, at an apple maggot fly as it's sitting on the table, that pattern actually makes them look like a jumping spider, those little black and white jumping spiders that are around in the summer. And what that does is it prevents other spiders from thinking that they're prey. So it's a nice form of mimicry that they have. Yeah, so I was in your lab recently taking photos of apple maggot, and they were kind of bowing their wings a little bit to look like a spider, and they actually really do look yeah. like a spider. So and, and the way they move, they'll hop, and so they look like a, a jumping spider hopping around. Yeah, that's a really neat evolutionary advantage for the apple maggot. Yeah, one way to avoid being eaten. Yes. So say we catch our first fly and we've ID'd it as apple maggot, uh, then why do we wait 7 to 10 days to apply a chemical treatment? Well, there's a couple reasons for that. The first is that not all flies emerge on the same day. We like to think that everything's, um, you know, wonderfully organized in nature, but it really isn't. So waiting a few days allows a greater percentage of that population to emerge from the ground um, and be active within your orchard. But it's also the window of time that it takes for the females to become sexually mature. So you don't have any oviposition happening in that seven to ten days. So that's, it's, it's allowing your flies to come out, but you're getting them before even that very first one has had a chance to lay any eggs. Okay. So yeah, essentially it's just a time when we can wait for more flies to mature, but there's no risk with any eggs being laid in the fruit. Exactly. That's perfect. What are the actual signs of damage on fruit? So when you're walking through an orchard and you're, you're looking at them, you might see uh, a, little, a little sting, and it's the size of a pinhead on, on the fruit. And it's, it can be hard to see depending on the color of the apple. Um, it's slightly indented, so I often find that if you look at the apple kind of on a, like at an angle, you have a better chance of seeing these little dents and then can follow up with them. Sometimes an apple will naturally have like little, little indentations. There's a slightly different shape to them, and once you 
you've seen a couple apple maggot stings, you can readily tell the difference between them. Your light-colored apples are much easier to identify the stings on just looking at it because all of a sudden you have this, it's a nice shadow. There's a shadow there where that little pinhead is. On your, your, your red apples, um, I find using that little angle trick is a bit helpful. And if you think you've found one, can you feel the pinprick as well? Does that help? A little bit. A little bit. If you're, and once you're sensitive to it, you spend a little time with it, you can get that way. Okay. Yep. So when you research apple maggot, how do you evaluate if any of the treatments are working? Um, with any research that we do, if we're monitoring for any insect, we'll have a trap sort of up in order to identify that, yes, the insect that we're looking for is there. And then when you apply your treatment, you keep those traps up, and then you're looking again to see if they have shown up. Looking for stings is another way that you could do it. It's a little more time-consuming than just looking for, you know, having the flies come to you, as it were. Does apple maggot have a preference for certain varieties? It does indeed. Um, there's <laughs> some of the... Uh, uh, blocks that we have here at the at the research station are mixtures, and as you walk through it, and if we're trying to collect apple maggots for to keep our own colony alive or to boost our numbers, we know exactly which cultivars to go and target, and they tend to be the ones that are a little more yellowy, which is one of the reasons that they do like Honeycrisp, but uh, Golden Delicious are often heavily dinged. Some of the Cortlands, which have a yellow undertone, can be also affected, and but then you also have in your red apples ones that have softer flesh, like your Gravensteins, and those can be uh, a nice source. So yeah, they do have a preference if they're next to each other, and you will see that in a mixed block. They're like um, apple connoisseurs. <laughs> Very fussy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what are some management options? Um, the current management for your apple maggot is most effective with the use of pesticides. And when I say that, I'm, I'm targeting that the objective is to meet that zero tolerance requirement to allow the apples to be exported to other countries. So there are two basic types of conventional pesticides that are uh, available to a grower. And the first target the adult flies. So those would be like your imidan. And so they're trying to prevent oviposition from even happening. While the second pro type of products will target the eggs and the larvae. So the oviposition is still happening. The egg is there, but it will either not hatch or if it does hatch, the larvae won't live very long afterwards. I would say that growers definitely prefer the first type, the first product, as that leaves no blemish on the skin. And we all know that the consumer can be fussy about the blemish on, on their fruit. And with those products, they know that the consumer is assured that there are no surprises in that apple when they bite into it. The second product does allow that egg to be laid. And th even though we know that there's nothing in there, that blemish on the fruit does leave that question in the consumer's mind if they know what it is they're looking for. So the other control measures that are more commonly used by organic growers, they protect the fruit um, by coating it with a clay-based product. We do have some natural predators uh, for apple maggot out there, spiders being one of them, but we already kind of talked about why that may or may not be uh, effective. Birds will go after them, um, and there are some parasitic wasps, but none of those on their own um, show much indication of dropping those uh, populations anywhere near what we would need to get that zero tolerance requirement. So the apple maggot, it's, it's a challenging critter to control precisely because the larvae are protected inside that fruit. The adults are very mobile and they're capable of moving out of the orchard during a pesticide application and other adults from nearby areas can easily move back in once you have the pesticide application done. 
The other issue with Apple Mag is with the fact with our global warming and the fact that our falls are becoming warmer. We're not getting that killing frost as early as we used to in the, in the fall. The apple maggot flies can live 40 to 50 days, and that gives them the opportunity to be laying their eggs into the harvest window. Applying a conventional product when your workers are in there is is not an option, and so that leaves the growers very vulnerable. Um, If, let's say, their initial applications weren't quite timed properly, they've got a, a nearby area that's got apple maggots allowing it to come in. So they're just very vulnerable once in our new our new um, environment that they're growing, and the fact that they do move around, um, they're not the best flyers. Um, so if you think of like a dragonfly or a honeybee who go and forage like kilometers um, to get their food, the apple maggots they they kind of hip hop through the landscape. So if you've got enough um, either wild host wild apple trees or hawthorn that are next to your orchard, they can easily make short little you know, a couple tens of meter flights onto these hosts and then just sort of hop and skip their way over to the next orchard block. And this is one of the reasons why there's been an, there's been an eradicate, eradication, in quotes, program to get the wild apple trees and hawthorns cleared out from around the orchard blocks. It's called our control zone. And it's trying to make sure or minimize the amount of movement that, these, uh, that the apple maggot can do. It's good to know that removing wild apple trees and hawthorn trees can actually help because we do have that program locally. Uh, And I just want to mention that the best time to find those trees is when they're in bloom. Uh, They're easy to spot. You can just flag them or spray paint the trunk just so that you can uh, come back to them later in the season when you have time to actually pull them out. Now uh, we know that there's chemical and cultural controls as options. Uh, Are you working on anything else that could potentially be a new solution? Indeed I am. There, uh, in talking with the growers uh, a few years ago, the idea of a sterile insect release program came up. It's been a solution that growers have adopted in other parts of Canada for other insect pests in, in apple. And the question was, would it work for apple maggot? And could it work here in Nova Scotia? So the goal with that is to raise thousands of sterile insects and release them into an orchard block. And the idea is that they're going to interfere with the wild apple maggots then create a situation where let's say wild males are wasting their time on uh, on sterile females and the sterile males are keeping the wild females from interacting with other wild and fertile males so the the program that has been successful and kind of is the model um, encouraging our growers I would say is the co- for coddling moth in southern BC and they have an intense program of rearing up these these uh, these moths and ha- making them sterile and then shipping them out to growers who need them them. But the first step here, because we're nowhere near at that level, is to develop a breeding population that can be consistently reared in a given period of time because of the thousands of flies that you do need. And while we know that they can lay 300 to 500 eggs, they do that beautifully in the wild and they do that terribly when in captivity because not all insects like to be taken from the wild and brought into the lab. So with the apple maggot, we're bringing them into the lab, and we know, if you earlier I mentioned that they do overwinter, what we're trying to do is find that percentage of the population that do not 
over winter. Nature loves diversity, and in doing that, she will create maybe the majority that need to overwinter. She will create a certain percentage where that need to overwinter two years before they come out. Some will go for three. But then there's a percentage that don't need to overwinter at all. And what we've been doing is selecting for those and then rebreeding those and reselecting those and reselecting until we are getting a population that doesn't need to have that overwintering break at all. And as with all programs, there are growing pains. And we've been trying to find, you know, the right diet uh, that will make them lay as many eggs as, as possible. Um, we've discovered the hard way that they need uh, protein, uh, a protein sugar balance. And we were giving them more sugar and less protein, which was like candy to them. So they were just kind of like enjoying life until they <laughs> naturally died and were not getting busy the way we wanted. So then we started putting some protein in there. And now we're getting, we're getting the reproduction is back up. Their longevity is has been great. We can keep them alive. We just are struggling to get them to, to be busy. Um, but they're very fussy about their temperature and their humidity. And if the humidity is off during some critical stages, what happens is it's not just, oh, they might be a little delayed. In, in this case, it's they're, they're dead. And that's just not helpful to the program that we're, we're trying to uh, get going here. And there probably isn't a lot of information out there on how to keep apple maggot flies alive. Well, the <laughs> the interesting thing is is there are there are some um, in the literature. There's a couple different places that have like, oh yes, mass rearing of apple maggot, just do this. And when we tried to just do that, uh, we did not end up with success. And I were attributing that to uh, the differences that you can find between populations. So, I mean, a U.S. population of apple maggot is adapted to certain conditions, and they, I think, lucked out in meeting those requirements. Using the same or even similar conditions here, our Nova Scotia apple maggots um, are just checking out early, or they were. We're now improving uh, because we're tweaking, we're taking that, that template, and we are now tweaking it, and we're making it uh, suited for Nova Scotia. So we're, we're, doing, we're doing better, and uh, once we get past this whole rearing thing, then we can start the sterilization trials and make sure that they're going to behave as if they're not sterile. That's great. Mm. Yeah, another good reason to have local research. Definitely. So just one last topic. Uh, you mentioned that there's zero tolerance for, for apple maggot. If the apple maggot isn't closely controlled and monitored, could it spread to new regions? Um, any insect can spread to a new region. Uh, there's no, they, they have no respect for boundaries, borders, or countries. So they will move as long as the environment is conducive to them surviving. So they're, you know, we call it at risk, and in, I put that in quotes, because it really just depends upon what the environment is that's next to them. So there's a couple different invasion scenarios, if you, if you will. So one where the conditions next to where they currently are, are established are perfect or nearly perfect and they're just going to gradually move as they would not as they do they're just going to hip hop through that landscape provided they've got the corridor with their natural hosts the other is when they pop into um, a totally new environment and that might be because you, they've been moved by you know through movement of plant material or soil that had some pupae in it and if they pop out into uh, an environment that is beautifully conducive to them, then establishment will happen reasonably quick. And if it's different for them in some regard, there might be 
let's say, again, because of that diversity, a small percentage of them that can survive and do well, and then it'll take a little bit of time before those numbers build up and then you have a problem. And we saw that with, I would say, with the brown marmorated stink bug down in the U.S. It was first detected in the early 90s, but wasn't a problem until, you know, 10, 15 years later. And I think that's because it it had to adapt to its new environment. But once it did, then it exploded and it was rapidly moving because everything was everything was working in its favor. It had adapted. There were no natural enemies and people were moving things around within the within the states and just plunking it into ooh, other good environments for it. So it spread like wildfire. Are you part of any invasive species working groups then? Yes, I sit on the the brown marmorated stink bug invasive working group and we've been you know we've been closely monitoring what's been going on in the United States and taking cues from how it's been spreading and where and now that we are starting to see it established in Canada it started off it's in Ontario and it's uh, it's in BC and it's in Quebec still not in Nova Scotia and still not in New Brunswick or PEI we get the odd um, intervention intervention interception I should say. And then that's where somebody like a trucker has been in an area in the U.S. and they brought it back on their luggage. And then somebody takes it to CFIA and they go, oh, yes, we found it. But one insect does not an infestation make. You do need to have them, you know, reproducing and they do need to have the right hosts and, and the right environment. We're not quite convinced we have all of the things that brown marmorated needs yet, but um, we'll have to see. It's just a matter of, I don't think it's if, I think it's it's when. Mm-hmm. And it's good to know that you're keeping an eye on it. Oh, thank you. So thank you, Dr. Blatt, for joining me today. And now we all have a better understanding of apple maggot. Thank you, Michelle. Thanks for listening to the Orchard Outlook podcast. If you like our show, you can help support us by leaving a positive review. For more information, visit our website at www.perennia.ca slash learning. The show is written by Michelle with help from questions by growers and recorded by Podcast Atlantic. <laughs>